The moment I realized that I had a problem, I, I remember it was just before Christmas, right around the holidays. I remember waking up in my big house, um, thinking, it's Thanksgiving, and I'm sitting here all by myself. I don't have anyone to share this with. I can't pick up the phone and call my kids because they won't talk to me. My parents are, you know, living in Florida right now. Um, my brothers in Madison were doing things with their respective families. I had no one. And I spent that whole holiday season just wandering around this big house trying to figure out what am I going to do? Where did my life go wrong? And how am I going to change? Well, if you're curious about the rest of Brian's story and what his problem was, hey, hang in there. We're going to hear the rest of Brian's story in just a little bit. But hey, I want to welcome all of you who are here and welcome all of you who are joining us online. Great to be with you. Glad that you're here. And uh, probably like you are in your personal life, we are here as a church. We are in full Christmas sprint. And speaking of Christmas sprint, next week, we're starting a brand new series called The Ghosts of Christmas Past. What do we do when the most wonderful time of the year isn't always so wonderful? Well, if, uh, if you're really looking for a series to challenge you as we go into Christmas, I want you to come back next week as we confront some of those ghosts of Christmas past. But before we get there, today we are wrapping up our series called Money Wise. And for most of us, we don't like to talk about the topic of money. But as we've been saying over and over throughout this series, and study after study shows this, is that money is the number one source of stress in our lives. Money is also the number one reason why couples fight. It is still the number one reason why couples get divorced. And so, you know, because of that, we just feel like we ought to talk about this very thing. And so our goal throughout this series has been to equip us with some tools so we can make wiser financial decisions. And one of the primary tools that we have been talking about throughout this series is this wise and simple financial plan to help us kind of manage our resources better. And it's called the 100 plan, or some people will call it the 10-10-80 plan. And here, here's what it is. And these are all percentage numbers. Uh, we take the first 10 and we give it to God by tithing. And when we tithe, it does two things. One, it says, hey, God, I acknowledge you own it all. And the other thing it, it does, it says, God, I ultimately trust you to provide for me. And this is where we actually invite God into this part of our life. Now, the second 10 is we take it and then we save it. And through save it, we, we end up creating margin. And at the same time, we leverage the miracle of compound interest in the area of our finances. And then the final 80 represents 80%. And this is where we trust God to live on the rest. Now, when I say it's a simple plan, I mean, anybody can use this plan. You know, if you're, if you're here and you're not a religious person and you're not a Christian and you're like, whoa, they're talking about money and all that stuff. Hey, listen, it's a great time for you to be here because this is a great plan for you. Now, you're going to modify it. You're going to go like, well, I don't want to do that. Well, good. You don't have to do that. You know, you can take that 10 and you can do whatever you want with that 10. Uh, but this, the rest of it, I mean, it's such a great plan. And at the same time, it is a very wise plan because of the intentionality behind it because of the ripple effect it'll have on our lives. Now, we, we haven't talked about this throughout the series, but this is something that's just a huge part of this thing. When you start here and you start giving, you will become a more generous person. And when you become a more generous person, you will experience more joy and contentment in your life overall. And then when you start saving more, you will create margin. 
And anytime we create margin, we experience more peace in our life. In an area of our life, we experience a lot of stress, anxiety, and worry. And then when we live within this 80% boundary, what will begin to happen is we live within a, within a decent boundary and we will experience freedom within those boundaries. Yet, as simple and wise as this plan is, if we're honest, it's challenging when you think about it. It's like, okay, you're saying, you know, I start with God, give 10, and I save 10. Here's the challenging part. It's in the form of this question. Can I really trust God enough to live on the other 80? Or you might say it this way. If I put God to the test, can he be trusted? You know, the thing is, life is filled with so many tests when you think about it. I mean, teachers test their students. Uh, parents test their kids. Employers and test their, their employees. You know, that single person tests that special someone to see if they're marriage material. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the word test is an important number or important word because it describes God testing his people. For example, before Jesus was going to perform a miracle of feeding 5,000 people, uh, Philip, one of his disciples, said to Jesus, he said, hey, Jesus, how are we going to feed all these people? Where are we going to get the money for this? And John, who was there, he describes it this way. He says this, Jesus asked this only to test Philip, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And so Jesus was testing Philip's level of trust. He was saying, hey, Philip, do you trust me? Do you think I can supply food for all these people? Well, Philip didn't have a very high level of trust because he basically looked at Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, we can't afford to do this. It's going to take years and years of wages to pull this off. But many of you, you know the story. And you know that Jesus miraculously supplied food for this crowd. It says 5,000 men, but that didn't include women and children. It probably meant it was about 15,000 people total with just five loaves of bread, and two little itty-bitty fishes. And I wonder at the end, when it was all done, if Jesus looked at Philip and he kind of gave him that nod, you know, kind of like, hey, hey, kind of that nod, and looking at him like, hey, you didn't think I could do it, did you? Hey, Philip, when are you going to learn that God can be trusted? And I wonder if God's not looking down on us today and just giving us that nod and go, hey, when are you going to learn that God can be trusted in the area of our finances. In fact, the area of our finances is one of those big tests that God places in our life. In fact, one person said it this way, and I've quoted this before. It's one of my favorite quotes about this. It says, you can never fully trust God until you trust him in the area of your, of your finances. In other words, we can't fully follow Jesus without trusting him in this area of our life. So today what I want to do is I want to look at a very powerful story of trust. It's found in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, and 1 Kings is found in a group of books in the Old Testament called historical books. It's just a series of books about the story of ancient Israel. Now the story we're going to look at today is the story of a single mom, and, and life for the single mom started out pretty normal for her. She fell in love, she got married, they had a baby, but then her husband died. And as a result, her life began to fall apart. And for this young widow, I mean, she didn't have an extended family nearby. She didn't have a support system. She wasn't a part of a church or a synagogue. She was all alone and, as you can imagine, very, very afraid. And what complicated things for her is that it was very difficult for a single woman in this culture to get a job, at least a respectable job. Plus, for her, there wasn't like childcare and things like that. Who would take care of her son? And to make matters worse, 
She was down to her very last meal. Well, along comes Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet of God back then who was just very, very well respected. And Elijah meets her, and she thinks that this is some accidental meeting. Little does she know that God had sent her, sent Elijah to meet her. And so here's the exchange between the two of them. It says, so he, being Elijah, went to Zarephath, where he came to the town gate. A widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, who would, who would you... Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. Now, I want you to put yourself in this single mom's shoes for a minute. She is under incredible financial stress just to survive. A stranger comes to her and asks her for food. She is asked to give away something she doesn't have to give away. So here's her response. As surely as the Lord your God lives. This is the equivalent when sometimes people say, hey, I swear to God, I swear to God. This is what she's saying. She replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So she's like, hey, I don't really have what you're, what you're looking for. All I have is I have enough for one meal for me and my son, and then I just want to let you know, after we eat that meal, we're going to starve to death. And then Elijah gives her a test. And so here's the test. Elijah said to her, hey, don't be afraid. To which she must have been thinking, did you not hear what I just said? I mean, this is it for me. I mean, I have no way out of this thing because I have nobody. He just ignores, keeps going, hey, go home and do as you've said. But first... Make a small cake of bread for me from whatever you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day of the Lord gives rain on the land. Now once again, put yourself in her shoes. You know, you have just enough food for yourself and your child. Would you, in that situation, trust God enough to give that away to a total stranger? And not only that, I don't know if you notice what Elijah says, but he says, hey, listen, you know, I, only, I not only want you to give some to me, I want you to give it to me first, before you feed your child and before you feed yourself. Now that's a test. You see, what Elijah was challenging her to do was to practice a principle that we see throughout the scriptures, and it's called the principle of the first. Or some of you may have heard it uh, called first fruits giving. It was this, we take everything that we have, and then we start and we give it to God first. We, we start with God. This is the 10-10-80 plan. That's why the 10, the first 10, is so intentional, because it's practicing this principle. This is what Elijah challenges her to do. And so here's how she responds. She went away, and she did it. In other words, she trusted him. And how, how do we know that she trusted? Because trust always requires action. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. So every day, every day they would use up the flour and the oil and wonder where was it going to come from. And then the next day, there would be more for them 
to use. And this happened every day. And so God made her a promise. He said, listen, hey, you test me and provide for my main guy here, Elijah. And then she did, and here's what she discovered. She discovered that the God of resupply can be trusted, that every day God supplied not just for her, but for her son and for Elijah, just what they needed. One more loaf of bread for one more day. You see, over and over again, God promises we put him first and we trust him first in the area of our resources, and he promises to meet all our needs, which is a huge promise when you think about it, because what do we worry and stress about the most, no matter how much or little we have? Our needs being met. Here's how Paul says it. He says it this way. He just says, hey, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You know, one of the favorite things, one of my favorite things about my job is I just get to, I get to see and watch people discover who God is, how much he loves them, and, and how much he wants to work in their life. And I can't tell you how many stories that I've seen over the year where people made a decision to follow Jesus, and they're taking steps, they're taking steps, they're taking steps, and then they get to this part where they talk about trusting God with this area of their life. And they're like, oh, man, I don't know, because this doesn't make sense, and this is tight, and I don't know if I can, and all that stuff. And they just go through this process, but then they're like, okay. I'm going to do this, but I won't let you know. I'm afraid. And then they begin to trust God in this area. And then as they begin to trust God, you know, they get a promotion or they get a check in the mail or they get a new opportunity or a phone call. And then they'll come back and go, oh, can you believe what God did? Can you believe this? And I always laugh and I always go, yeah, I, I can. I can. Because people who trust God, they have stories like this. And this is the story of our widow. God made her a promise. And so she took the step to trust him. And in doing so, she discovered God can be trusted. Now, I made a decision to follow Jesus a few years after college. And since that time, I have been testing the trustworthiness of God in my own life. And it hasn't been easy, I'll be honest with you, because I just don't naturally extend trust that easy. But from personal experience, I can tell you this. Living a life trusting God is not the easiest way to live. But it is by far the best way to live. Uh, one of my first early tests of, of trusting as a follower of Jesus, I'd just, become, I'd just become a Christian, and I was attending this church, and then I was challenged to get into community, which for them was connect in a small group and then serve on a team where you can use the gifts and abilities you have to just move the mission of the local church forward. And so this was, this was a big step, step for me because it meant saying no to some things and people that I was very comfortable with and saying yes to things I wasn't very comfortable with. So I decided, okay, I'm going to do this. And so I got into a group, and uh, it took some time for me, but that group ended up, I've formed friends in that group that we are still friends today. And then I served on a ministry team, and the first place I served, I was a greeter. That's right. Some of you are going like, man, guest services probably wasn't very strong in that church. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't, but I was as a greeter, you know? And uh, it was just like, whoa, I can't believe I'm doing this. And I tell you, it was difficult because I wasn't used to being around church people in, in that type of setting. Plus, the people uh, that I was friends with at work, they began to just wonder, hey, why, why are you spending so much time over here and you're not spending as much time here? Some of them began to make fun of some of the steps that I was taking, and, and some even, they just began to, to stop talking to me altogether. But I just liked what God was doing in my life. Well, shortly after that, I was introduced to this whole idea of honoring God uh, with your finances. And uh, taking the step of, of tithing. And I was like, what? 
what did you say? You know, and I'm like, that's mine, 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 and tithing, and that doesn't even really make sense and all that stuff. But I was just finally like, okay, if I'm going to do this thing, I, I'm going to trust. And so I was like, oh, I still remember, you know. And uh, it was like taking the plunge, you know, for me. But I took the plunge. But at that time, I had a, a really good corporate job. And so for me, it wasn't a matter of trust as much as it was a matter of inconvenience for me. But little did I know what was to come. Well, a few years later, my wife Donna and I, we began to sense that, that God might be leading me to work for a church full time. And we struggled with this, this for quite some time. And the reason why is because I was wrestling with the whole idea of leaving a career I had pursued since I was in sixth grade for a career I never considered or would never want to consider. Plus, you know, I kind of thought, thought of myself, I was like, I'm not really the pastor type, you know, because I'm, I'm kind of cool, at least in my own mind, you know, and pastors aren't really cool, at least I haven't met any, you know. And uh, so I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to do this. Plus, you know, I was like, what about our lifestyle? We were living a good lifestyle. We were in the process of buying a really, really nice house when this was all going on. And so finally, we just said, okay, we're going to trust you, God. And so as a result, we, we packed up a trailer of our stuff, and uh, we moved from Florida to Kentucky, where I was going to do graduate study. And uh, so I could be trained to be a pastor. So we moved to Kentucky. We had uh, no job, no friends, no one. And the plan was is that Donna was going to work full-time and then I was going to go to school full-time, or as I like to call it, the wife scholarship program, which is a beautiful thing, you know? And eventually, Donna got a job, and she got a job, and she was making uh, barely $8 an hour. And so we had to take this $8 an hour, and we, only had, to, we had to live off of that, but we had to pay for tuition off of that. And we just said, okay, God, we trusted you. We honored you financially when we had a lot. Now we're going to do this with a little. And so we did. And uh, some of my best, some of our best God stories of God providing happened during that time, including we left school and we had absolutely no debt. And so we were like, okay, God, I guess we can trust you. Well, shortly after graduating, I got a job with a church in Florida. I was going to be their assistant pastor, which that meant I was going to be like, I was going to do all the things the lead pastor didn't want to do. You know, that was kind of my position. And uh, I remember thinking, whoa, this is awesome. You know, I'm actually like a pastor. You know, I was so excited and all this stuff, even though I had no idea what I was doing. And uh, it was like, this is great. Well, the excitement quickly waned as uh, stuff started to come out about the lead pastor and he was doing a bunch of inappropriate stuff. And um, uh, people started to find out about it, and people started leaving the church. They eventually had to let him go. More people started to leave the church. And the leadership came to us, and they said, hey, we want you to stick around. But as we looked at things, if this church was going to move on, we had to move on. And so as a result, we were without a job and nowhere to go to get one. And so at this season, we were just, it was painful, it was confusing, and we were like, we left everything for this? Well, a couple months later, God opened up an unexpected door for us, and we got a job on a, on a, on a staff at a church back in Kentucky. And what was interesting about this is that this step, everything about it was a step backwards. It was a step, step backwards professionally because I went from being number two at a church to this church is a huge staff. And I was like way, way, way down here on the organizational uh, totem pole, so to speak. And it was a step back financially. Because this church says, hey, we'll take you, 
but we're only going to pay a half of what you were making before, which they weren't really, we weren't paid, paid much before, you know, and so it was a half of a little, and, uh, but we were like, okay, I guess, God, this is what you want us to do. I, I think we're going to trust you. Now, when we moved there, and just kind of early on, I was like, why, why would you move us here? Why would you take us here? But it was during this time that I really learned about church for unchurched people, and it was during this time that God reaffirmed to me, this is, this is what I want you to give your life to. Well, a few years into being there, uh, this church had to go through some major downsizing. And uh, my staff and me, we were a part of the downsizing. So once again, we were without a job and nowhere to turn to get one. And not only was that going on, but my wife Donna and I, we were dealing with some very, very painful personal uh, struggles for us. Uh, we had all sorts of pregnancy issues, multiple miscarriages, health issues were all going on. We were starting to wonder if we were ever going to be able to have a family of our own and just all the pain and the uncertainty that goes with that. And so just to try to make ends meet while we were going through that time, a friend of mine uh, paid me $10 an hour to burn waste at construction at a construction site. Now, that's dangerous because anytime I'm around a construction site, bad things are going to happen, you know? And so here, here we are. Here we are, uh, just personally, just in shambles, uh, I'm, I'm in a place where there is no hope as far as the calling is concerned. This was some of the darkest times for us. And we struggled with trusting God. In fact, there were many times where we just said, if this is what it's all about, I don't know if we want to do this anymore. But even though we wanted to leave, we just lightly continued to trust God. Well, in the middle of that dark season, another op opportunity opened up for us. And it was to be on staff at a church in California, which was interesting because that meant moving farther away from any support staff that we had. Uh, but while we were there, we kept asking, okay, God, why are, we, why are we here? And it was there that we learned about leadership in a way that we had never learned about leadership, and we learned about communication in a way that we, we hadn't before. I mean, it was actually there that prepared us for here. And during that time, Don and I actually had the opportunity to start our family. And we got to start our family in a way that we otherwise wouldn't have if God hadn't moved us there. And then finally, finally, he opened up a door for us to move back to this state to start this church. And when we moved here, we had now no friends, no money, no place to live, and we had no idea what we were doing. And, uh, but we just said, okay, God, we're just going to try to trust you. And so, you know, that's what we started to do. And when we started this church, it was by far the most difficult thing that we have ever done. But we just saw God along the way go, you can. It's okay. I'm there. I'm working. And I tell you, just as we begin to, to see this whole thing take fold, and we get to see and hear all the stories of taking place, and I, I can't imagine that God has done all of this. And every time I say, welcome to Oak Creek and online and Greenfield, I mean, we would have missed out on all that. We would have missed out on you. You see, from my vantage point, this has been one of those messages that's been 15 years in the, make, in the making. Listen, I've tested the trustworthy of God over and over again in my own life, and I've learned that when the future seems uncertain, I've learned when circumstances don't make sense, and I've learned that when, when pain and sorrow and grief hits our life, God can be trusted. And I know some of you are going, Mark, did you forget what this series is all about? I mean, this is not what this series is all about. No, I have not forgotten. 
You see, because the fundamental issue when it comes to our money is not a monetary issue. It's a trust issue. You see, because our tendency is to not look at who God is and how much he loves us and how big he is and not the track record of God. Our tendency instead is to look at our bank account and it's to look at our bills. It's to look at the economy it's not, it's, and it's to look at our circumstances. But I want you to think back to the story of the widow that we just looked at. Here she was. She had very, very little. And she was going through a very difficult time. And God didn't look at her and say, you know what? You're going through a pretty tough spot. I'm not going to test you. I'm going to go on to someone else. And then when things get better, then I'll come back to you. No. Think about this. God looked at her in her circumstances and said, I'm going to test you. And what did she do? She took the very little that she had and she gave it over to God, and she learned God can be trusted. You know, I don't know what your financial situation is now. I know for some of you it's good, and for some of you it's not so good. But no matter where we are financially, we read over and over again, I want you to trust me, I want you to trust me, test me, and see if I do not come through for you. In fact, two weeks ago, we looked at this passage. It's one of my favorite on this topic. And it's where God says through another prophet to his people, he says, bring the whole tithe. In other words, start with the ten to me into the storehouse. And the storehouse for them was the place of worship. For them was the temple. For us, it's the local church. That there may be food in my house. And he says, hey, dare you, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much good that there will not be room enough to store it. And God is not the least bit concerned if he has the capacity or not to bring return into our life because he owns it all anyways. Now, I know some of you, you're like, well, listen, Mark, I, I just have a little in life. I, it doesn't really that, doesn't make that much of a difference. But think back to our widow. Her little God used to feed a prophet. The person who had five loaves of bread and two fish used to feed 15,000 people. And God will do what he always wants to do in our lives, to take a little and multiply it into more. Now, for some of us, we look at this and you go, Mark, you always talk about God providing and God doing this. What's the scope of that stuff? What does that look like in my life? Well, let's go back to our, our passage with Paul. And Paul just says it this way, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Riches, see, Paul understood something that we often forget that God is much more resourced than any of us are. And then he says, all our needs. Well, what does that mean? What is all our needs? Well, all our needs includes this, our financial and material needs. Now notice, I said needs, not wants. There is a huge difference between the two. It's like this, you know, uh, when I see a piece of chocolate pie, I want that piece of pie, trust me, and I do. But I don't need that piece of chocolate pie. Big difference between wants and needs. And see, when we honor God first by trusting him with the resources he's given us, he promises to meet all our financial material needs. Now, earlier I shared the story where Don and I went to Kentucky, and uh, I was on the wife scholarship program, and uh, she was working for, for $8 an hour, and, and you know we had to pay for tuition, and we had to meet living expenses and all that stuff, and the numbers nowhere near added up. And so we were like, all right, God, you know we're doing what we're supposed to do. We're honoring you uh, with our finances, and you say you promised to do this, and so we began to pray. God, you got to meet our needs here. you got to meet our needs. Well, three months in to going to school, one day I walked out to the mailbox, 
And uh, I opened up, and there was, a, there was an envelope from the church uh, that we came from. And I opened it up, and there was a check for $3,400. And uh, so I thought, man, this must be a mistake, you know? So I called the church, and, uh, and I said, hey, listen, um, we got this check and all this stuff. They're like, yeah, we know, we know. I'm like, okay, well, why do we have this check? They're like, well, a family, when they heard you were going to school, they really felt prompted to and felt led to uh, pay for your schooling. And I was like, well, who is this family? They're like, Mark, I don't even think you know who they are. And uh, so we're like, okay, every three months, in the mail, a check for 3400 came for the next couple years. This family who we will never know, I don't know who it is to this day, paid for our entire schooling. That's a need. And I've just seen God do this in people's lives. Sometimes he, he raises the income. Sometimes he lowers the expenses. Sometimes he just causes things to last longer than they should. I mean, you think about it. Some of us have a car, and we're like, God, kill this thing. You know, just kill it, please, you know? <laughs> you just keep going with it. Yeah, and because that's just what happens. Or we have other things in our life, and uh, that, that's just, that's just kind of what God does. And as a part of this, because God loves blessing his kids, every once in a while, he blesses us with some chocolate pie as well. You see, that's part of the provision of God, but there's more than just that. God also promises to meet our emotional and relational needs. You see, God always cares about the whole person. He cares about all of us. I can't tell you how many times I've been at the end of my rope, and then all of a sudden there was a phone call or a text or an email or, or just something there that just kind of lifted the spirits out of it, my spirits out of it. And that's just, that's just what God does because God cares about the whole person. But it doesn't stop there. God's provision also includes the deepest needs of our soul. And some of you, you know exactly what this is. Because right now, you are in a, a dark night of the soul season in your life right now. Uh, many of you know that uh, I took some extra time off this summer. And uh, because I was dealing with some burnout issues, was going some really tough times. Uh, had had uh, this burnout's very high among pastors. And going into it, uh, just to be perfectly honest, I was just like, God, where are you? And I felt very lonely, uh, felt, felt very distant from people, uh, was really struggling with whether I wanted to keep doing this or not. I mean, that's just how, how depleted I was. And uh, that's, I mean, I was going through dark night of the soul sort of thing. Well, I, can't, I don't have time to sit and tell you everything that happened during that season, but let me just say this. God was so gracious to step in. And during that time, just go, you have no idea how much I love you, and I care for you, and, uh, and yeah, I want you to keep doing what you're doing. I'm with you the whole time. Now, I know for some of you, you go, oh, yeah, okay. Well, God does that for pastors. <laughs> no, actually, he doesn't just do it for pastors. And you know why? Because pastors are nothing more than people. You see, he fulfills his promise to any person who places their trust in him. You see, we have a God who promises to meet all our needs. And, you know, I i got to be honest, I'm genuinely surprised at the number of people who say they follow Jesus, who have never really just kind of ventured out in faith and really trusted God in this area and really tested him in this area. And I guess it just kind of confuses me because I think, okay, how do you find the faith to trust God for your afterlife, but you don't have the faith to trust him with this part of this life? And I just, I just kind of hurt for people who live with such a crippled view of a loving, capable, and able God. You see, we have a God who promises to meet all our needs. And for what it's worth, 
He's done it for me over and over again, and he will do it for you as well, just as he has for Brian. Hi, my name is Brian. Uh, I've been attending the Ridge now for about two and a half years, and uh, I actually came here because of uh, a woman who I was dating at the time, Carol, who's now my wife. After high school, I went to college, you know, I uh, got a job, got married, started raising a family. And I was busy with work and family, and I kind of, we just didn't have time for church um, in our life. And I kind of fell away from, from God. I, I walked away from God at that point. All of my decisions surrounded what could I do that would make me feel better. So it, this just became this vicious cycle that money was my master. All I wanted to do was make more money, and if that meant spending less time with family and friends, um, that, that was secondary to me. It was two failed marriages before I woke up to realize, you know what, having more money, more stuff, a bigger house, is not the answer. That Sunday that I went to church for the first time after 30 years, to me was a, a, a life-changing moment. And once I did that, and I said, well, now I'm gonna live the way God wants me to live, and I'll learn to do that, whatever it takes, I'm gonna learn how to do that. I mean, everything has just fallen into place. It's like all the things that I had been missing, all the pieces that I had been missing in my life, to be happy, all of a sudden just started coming back to me. I got up the courage to, to call my children and reconnect with them. Uh, I got up the courage to go and, and, and uh, you know, meet other people. My heart has changed. And, and it's interesting, the more involved I get, the more I want to be involved, the more time I want to give, and the happier I become. The hard part for me, the really hard part for me, has been learning how to give of my treasures. Um, attending the services here, I, you know, I've come to realize that God has blessed me in all aspects of my life. I need to be willing to give of all of that to have a relationship with God. So um, for me, the hard part of the money was an obstacle to my relationship with God. I went online and I said, I'm just gonna make this, you know, every paycheck, this amount is going to the church first. That's it. Automated it online. I don't think about it since. And I haven't worried about it since. But it was getting to that point where I'm like, okay, that's, okay, I'm gonna give this much. Well, money for many years for me was the end game. You know, whoever dies with the most money in the bank account wins, right? Um, and now I, I recognize money is just a tool, just another resource that I have to manage along with my family, my friendships. It's, it's something that I can use to, to live my life, but also to help others. God wants us to be happy. He created us in his image. We are all good people in a broken world. If we follow his rules for life, we can truly be happy. And from my standpoint, having followed my own rules for so many years and being unhappy, it's so much easier to follow God's rules and be happy. And I'm just it's so grateful that we have a loving and forgiving God who, who gave us his, his mercy, even though I certainly didn't deserve it. 
you know, for, for many of us, Brian's story is really our story. Now, the details might be different, but the struggle with money is the same. And what I've discovered, and I've watched other people like Brian discover, is that God loves us. And when I say that, I mean he really loves us. And because he loves us, he wants to provide for us. And the reason this is so important for us is because if we can begin to trust God to provide for us, it makes it a lot easier to trust him with other areas of our life. And when we trust him to provide for us, here's what will begin to happen. Our worry, stress, and anxiety, and our fear will begin to drop. And our peace, and our joy, and our love for God will begin to go up. You see, that's what this is really all about. And that's why this is so important. So here's what I want to challenge you to do as we wrap up our series. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, now if you're not one, you just kind of sit this one out. And, you're, and I want you to come back next week for our, our ghost series. And you're like, yeah, hey, we're talking about ghosts next week. Remember, ghosts of Christmas past. All right, we're not talking about ghosts. But I want you to come back next week as we kick off our Christmas series. But if you're a Christian and you have never trusted God with this area of your life, I want to challenge you to trust him with this area of your life. And here's how we've been doing it throughout the series. We've been saying, all right, we want you to take what's called the 100-day tithe challenge after the 100 plan. And here's, here's the thing. We've had these tithe challenge cards in the seat in front of you in the pocket there. Uh, I, want, I want you to pull this out, and you're going to take this with you. You're not turning this in, but this explains the whole 100-day tithe challenge. And it's this. You're going to test God for 100 days, and you're going to tithe. And uh, if you tithe in a way that we can track it because it's, it's given here, and if you don't sense God's activity or, or provision in your life, we'll give you all your money back for those 100 days. So it's like I said, it's a 100-day test drive. And so I just want you to take this card. I want you to put it somewhere for the next 100 days. And then as you're going through, you go, okay, God, you promised. Okay, God, it's tight. You promised. You promised. You promised. You promised. And I just want you to put it somewhere, and I want to challenge you to do that. Now, as we've gone throughout this series, I've said this, and I, and I want to bring it back. If you sense I have some sort of hidden agenda, secret plan, or whatever it may be, here's what I want you to do. Take everything you've learned in this series, and I want you to apply it at another church. I don't want you to leave to another church, but this is such a critical part of your faith journey. I just don't want you to miss out on that. And so if I'm the problem, if the ridge is the problem, go to a place and apply it there so you can experience this part of your faith journey. You see, we have a God who promises to meet all our needs. And he invites us, no matter what your need is, relational, material, whatever it is, to trust him. And if we don't accept this challenge, we will never know if we can really trust him. But if we do, it will be the wisest decision you can ever make with your finances. Let me pray for us. And Father, I thank you that... Um, as we look at some of these, these statistics about money and all the fear and the worry and the anxiety and are we going to and here's what's going on and our circumstances are a mess, no matter what it is, if we trust you, we can live with the assurance and the peace that you're involved, that you're involved. And we want you involved because, God, we know ultimately no one can provide like you. Uh, God, there's things that we think we can control that we can't control. And so, God, we want you to be involved in that area of our life. And so, God, um, I pray for those who have never taken this step that, that they would say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm following you with my life, that you give them the courage to do so. And, uh, and Father, that they would have eyes to see your work and your activity, your provision and your grace and your love for us in the midst of all that.
God, I thank you that you are a God who loves us enough and way more than enough that you will more than provide for us. Thank you for caring for us, your kids, and uh, you enjoy doing so. And we thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.